0: I'm getting the cue from the control room. To, to make us. me stop? Yeah. On this episode of Radio Free Dylan. If there's one ripple from the horrors that we are witnessing in Japan that may actually benefit the people of the earth, it may be the surge in demand that comes with rebuilding. A conversation now. Broadcasting from an undisclosed utility closet under 30 Rock. Issue after issue. American oil money and American guns. Can you invite me on the show, yeah. what's going to happen, right. okay? The Internet will never be the same. It is so obvious that the government does not work for the people of this country. This is Radio... A mandate without reform. Free... Listen, Bobby, I'd love to help you, Jimmy. Dylan. Welcome to episode 41 of Radio Free Dylan. Today's topic, what the earthquake means to Japan's fiscal future, and more broadly, whether the correct response to an environment of deprived economic activity is to cut or is to invest and spend. A raging debate, not only in Japan for uh, longer uh, than a lot of folks would like to admit, decades in some cases, depending on how you evaluate it, but one that is obviously very active in our own country. Marshall uh, Auerbach is a senior fellow at the Roosevelt Institute, right now works uh, as an investment manager at Madison Street Partners, which is an investment fund based out of Denver. Uh, In addition to that, Marshall brings to this conversation uh, significant periods of experience working both in investment uh, and in development in both Hong Kong and in Tokyo in Japan. Uh, just to give you a little bit of a sense, from 83 to 87, he was investment manager for GT Management Asia Limited in Hong Kong, focusing primarily on Hong Kong and along with Singapore, Malaysia, uh, and the Southeast Asian region. Uh, he was also based in Tokyo, where his Pacific Rim expertise was largely broadened to include the Japanese markets. Uh, again, uh, a pleasure to have you here, Marshall, not only with a perspective of a productive capitalist, somebody who looks to allocate capital in a way that solves problems and ultimately uh, results in an advancement in in not only society but social structure, but also with the unique perspective of somebody who has the background that you do in Asia. Uh, Specifically, uh, how much credibility is there to the assertion Uh, That the one silver lining, and I, I, I hesitate to even call it a silver lining, but one of the ripple effects of a disaster that I would argue has no silver lining, but one of the ripple effects of it may actually be a significant period of economic stimulation. Uh, coming out of Japan, is there a, how would that theory go?
1: Well, I, I think your your logic is correct. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on the show, Dylan. I've always enjoyed your work thank and you. uh, the generous introduction. Um, look, I have uh, long suggested that um, policy making in Japan is largely characterized by the Japanese word nemawashi, which is consensus building. Uh, the Japanese uh, uh, one finds uh, struggle to gain consensus at many turning points in their history, but once they've actually achieved consensus is they can move with a surprising degree of rapidity towards a quick uh, policy resolution and implementation. It's almost the opposite of what you have here. Um, So, um, and what I think has happened over the last uh, couple of decades is that there's been a a huge uh, breach amongst uh, various policymakers in terms of the sorts of policies that should be adopted. Now, historically, it it is true that uh, Japan's policy responses have tended to be much quicker when they have um, um, done so under the uh, threat of foreign pressure they call Gaiatsu Um, generally speaking the the large scale reforms that were introduced to the financial system for example in the 1980s were introduced under huge American pressure and I think this earthquake um, given the potential environmental uh, catastrophe that uh, might follow from it um, has has perked uh, the the, the world's attention in a way that say, uh, the Bank of Japan's uh, deflationist policies have not I think Japan sort of become an economic irrelevance but to the extent that this earthquake is now having implications for the entire world um, all of the major uh, policy-making elites around the globe are are starting to pay attention to Japan again, and I think will exert considerable pressure on the uh, policymakers to reflate. So, in that uh, sense, it is, as you say, a crisis, but it is a crisis which might provoke some uh, positive responses which could ultimately be very beneficial for the economy. Uh,
0: Their economy or the global
1: economy? Well, I would say uh, for for their economy in the first instance, but I would also say for the global economy. I mean, look, uh, in all of our projections uh, of of the global economy over the last years, I mean, we talk about China, we talk about Europe recovering, we think maybe we debate well, whether the U.S. is in a recession or is about to accelerate. Um, Japan has become an economic irrelevance. But, you know, as you suggested, I lived there in the 1980s. It was, uh, there were books coming out at that point that said uh, Japan uh, will soon be number one, Ezra Vogel's book, and uh, it was then the second-largest economy in the world. It is now the, still the third-largest economy in the world. Um, it is not an economic irrelevance by any stretch. But if you do get the significant growth shock coming from Japan, then I think it would have uh, implications that would uh, spread out uh, beyond uh, um, um, Japan itself to other parts of Asia and and probably the U.S. as well.
0: Walk me through a scenario in which the the disaster that has befallen this incredibly robust first world uh, nation would lead to an acceleration in economic activity.
1: Okay, well, I, you know, you've heard some of the estimates so far of anywhere from 150 to $180 billion uh, in terms of what the, the, the initial estimates of damage. Frankly, I think it could be much more than that. Um, if you look at some of the pictures, um, you are looking at a country which, um, you know, it's not, it, 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 these places look like a war zone. Um, you've had entire towns, cities um, um, uh, flattened to, to, the, to the ground. So, I mean, the, the argument again, in, against further fiscal stimulus uh, as well as the nonsensical affordability arguments, which we can touch on later has been, um, well, what on earth does Japan need to build more highways and and, and roads and houses for? They've already got enough of these things, and there's no room for it. Well, clearly you've got a situation right now where uh, a huge amount of the the country is under a very, very significant um, threat. Will have to be a considerable amount uh, spent. Uh, you know, uh, you're, you're talking about uh, millions of homes, ports, airports. Uh, there will be, uh, if they're not nuclear power plants, there will certainly be other types of power plants. There's an airport that has to be reconstructed. All of these things uh, cost money, and uh, there is a multiplier impact uh, in, in when, when, the, when the spending is made.
0: And, and that multiplier is everything from demand for steel and lumber and concrete, yeah. copper.
1: Yep, copper, iron ore. Uh, yep, absolutely. And I would think uh, you'll start seeing it in energy as well, because you already had fairly tight energy markets. And um, look, uh, there is an active debate right now as to whether this marks the the end of the nuclear uh, industry's renaissance before it's hardly got underway. Um, my comment to, or response to that has always been. Um, Personally, I think that there'll still be a need for nuclear, but even if you uh, suggest that there's not, then, then how are you going to um, light the homes and, and, and heat them at night? Uh, um, clearly, you're going to have to look back to conventional energy sources, and that means oil and, uh, and natural gas. Natural, but now If you look at the way that some of these natural gas stocks and not, the price of natural gas has responded in the wake of this crisis, I think that's, uh, that's an obvious transitional fuel, and it's a, a semi-green fuel which could replace uh, nuclear to a large degree.
0: You referenced the, the, what you described I guess, as the silliness uh, of the deficit debate.
1: Yeah, I mean, which it, applies it, not in I've been, just I've been in referencing Japan. this for ages in, in both uh, the U.S. Uh, in fact, it's a, it's a global uh, insanity. I mean, the the fact of the matter is that uh, uh, aggressive fiscal policy responses in the uh, in the in the wake of the 2008 crisis uh, saved the world from going into a great depression. We we, we now suffer from a, a bout of collective amnesia. You've got uh, countries like the U.K., which mistakenly think they'll become the next Greece, so they've started to cut spending, and uh, their uh, their deficits have grown. Their economic activity has slowed down. Uh, Ireland is another poster boy uh, for the disasters which follow fiscal austerity. And um, if uh, the Democrats uh, start following from the John Boehner playbook, then they're going to have the same problems here. Now, Japan, uh, I always say that, uh, because, because people always say that Japan is exhibit as a sign of the ineffectiveness of government's expenditures. And I always say that that's a, a mischaracterization of the situation. What Japan illustrates is the dangers of, of this constant stop-start um, uh, of policy in regard to uh, uh, fiscal Policy that the Japanese uh, people forget that um, they raised their consumption tax by forty percent in the mid-1990s. Uh, this was followed by the Kobe earthquake, and then it was followed by the uh, uh, the Asian financial crisis in the late 1990s, so which created a huge shock to their external sector. So they were hit with a lot of shocks in that period. There were policy mistakes made. Um, yes, the Bank of Japan introduced quantitative easing in 2001, but as Richard Ku pointed out in his excellent book on Japan, there was no uh, economic. Of any uh, note until the Ministry of Finance in 2003, around September 2003, finally dropped its absurd insistence on fiscal consolidation and let the uh, deficit grow. Um, and at which point the economy began to recover. In fact, between 2003 and 2008, the economy was growing at about two and a half percent a year, and it was one of the better-growing economies. And surprise, surprise, the deficit actually came down because Jap- Japan's tax structure is highly dependent on corporate revenues. Corporate revenues exploded and uh, the, the the deficit came down in this period it 's been the times when the government has tried to reduce the deficits, listening to the neoliberal brigades from the, the, the likes of the IMF that the deficit has actually increased
0: and so how would you apply that log- logic to the current political debate debate in the United States that revolves around uh, cutting inside of our budget and focuses very little on the massive inefficiencies that prevail in all of our industries ranging from healthcare to energy.
1: Well, uh, yes. I mean, uh, um, the, the problem you have in the U.S. I think it's a, it's a political one. It's one that you've touched on many times in your uh, on your show. It's it's a problem of, of political corruption and the fact that, say, in healthcare, for example, you have a private insurance industry that extracts its thirteen percent rents from uh, of GDP and uh, obviously doesn't want to give that up. And uh, if you have a government that's that's bought by that uh, uh, that uh, uh, industry, then it's it's, it's harder to to, uh, uh, to give that up. My whole point is this: um, we don't live under a gold standard any longer. Under the gold standard, governments had to borrow to spend more than their tax revenue. But since 1971, that necessity has lapsed. So now you've got a situation where governments issue debt to match, you their, deficit, to match their deficits only as a result of pressure placed on them by neoliberals to restrict spending. Um, you Conservatives, in fact, know that um, rising public debt can be puni- politically manipulated and demonized. They're doing that right now, and they do this to put a break on government spending. When I mean, you tell me, for example, why uh, a, a country which is 7 percent unionized, all all of a sudden, public unions have become the, 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 the new bugbear, uh, uh, and, and, and Wall Street banks are virtually ignored right now. You know, the, these same banks um, um, get uh, corporate welfare in the form of risk-free income flows uh, because uh, they, they're allowed to park their money safely in bonds during uncertain times. The bonds themselves provide a risk-free benchmark in which to provide uh, to r- price other riskier financial products, but, but they are effectively a CD, a gift offered by the government. They're not necessary to actual, actually fund expenditure. Most people get the causation wrong. We, we create funds first electronically, and then we offer bonds afterwards as a savings alternatives. We don't use the bonds to, uh, to fund uh, um, uh, our expenditures. And that's where the household analogy breaks down completely, because you or I, obviously, uh, as, issue, as users of currency rather than issues of currency, are constrained in a way that a government is not. Now, anytime I say this, uh, people say, oh, well, you're going to just turn this country into uh, Zimbabwe or, or uh, Weimar Germ- Germany. And um, I, I simply point out that I'm not saying that government spending is always a good thing. You have to have due consideration to real resource constraints, and too much government inflation can be inflationary. But that's clearly not the case when you've got uh, unemployment of around nine percent, but the really uh, underemployment—it's more like 16 percent sixteen percent—where you've got substantially low rates of capacity utilization in both the U.S. also in Europe. In Europe, you've got uh, unemployment rates in some countries like Spain of twenty percent, uh, when you've got an economic. Catastrophe in, in, in Japan and uh, huge numbers of people now that are homeless. I mean, I, to, to speak about uh, resource constraints in that kind of environment is absolutely absurd.
0: If you were to, if you could, I want to clarify something because yeah. obviously, I come from a background uh, in financial journalism and in corporate finance itself at Bloomberg, and make a very clear distinction between what I view as a very strong advocacy of investor. Base capitalism, yeah, where the investors retain the risk and are forced to measure decisions based not only on potential reward, but on the necessary risk creation in order to pursue that reward, yep. which is one version of what does happen in a very vital and necessary way, in my opinion, Agreed. in the financial markets. And then the other portion of the financial universe that is exclusively the too-big-to-fail banking complex yep. that really has the biggest influence over our government and is also the biggest practitioner of uh, fairly short-term speculative capital uses uh, that do very little in- to cultivate the way of investment. How do we do a better job? How do we do a better job of distinguishing between the incredibly vital and demanding aspects of Wall Street when it comes to investment—the type of work somebody like yourself and many others do—and mm-hmm. the other aspects of Wall Street that are represented by the large banks, which in the process of not making that distinction, we indict the entire concept uh, of financial markets without fully comprehending the distinctions.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, people often say to me, how can you have this, these views and work in finance? And I say, well, actually, many of us that view, work in finance believe in free markets. We believe in proper functioning capital markets. We don't believe in crony capitalism. We believe that um, if you uh, make a bad decision, you should suffer the economic consequences. Uh, I've made bad investment decisions in my life, and I haven't been given a government uh, a bailout check. Um, so, so, clearly, we are concerned with the, uh, the the proper functioning of capital markets. But There's another point, which is that um, you want to have financial or fiscal resources devoted towards productive economic activities. Um, You don't really want a credit-based economy. This is one of the points I always make to people. You want an economy which is a full-employment economy. And what I always tell people is if you want a good financial stability policy, then you want to have a full-employment policy, because if you have people that are fully employed, it means their incomes are growing, their jobs are growing, they're able to service their debts. It means the banks don't have to write off debts on their balance sheet, and everybody's happy. The only people that aren't happy are the ones who, uh, as you say, make their living off extracting economic rents, but contribute very, very little to the productive economy. That's, that's clearly not the kind of economy we want, but that's clearly the, the, the economy which predominates here in the U.S. and, in fact, in many parts of Europe as well. Do you
0: believe that that distinction between those who are the rent-seekers, whether it's, again, the health insurance companies or some of the the too-big-to-fail financial institutions, uh, can be fixed? In other words, what were there to be the political will... Yeah. Is there an alternative structure and more importantly can you get from where we are now into where we, again regardless of my opinion or your opinion as to whether we should be where we are or whether how yep. we got to this yep. point the fact is we are in this credit-based economy that is a largely speculative environment that is run meaning credit speculation who can pay their bills who can't pay their bills yep. uh as a on a macro level at on a banking level Could you adjust back to an investing in productive capital, innovator investor model uh, in a way that is not so disruptive in the transition? Uh, that, it, that it's too much of a barrier to cross?
1: Well, I, I suspect it will be uh, disruptive, and unfortunately I, I fear that it will probably take another financial crisis to finally uh, fully discredit the uh, the current model that we've got. We had our chance in 2008, and, and, and uh, as you and many others have suggested, I think we missed an opportunity there. In fact, I, I think that... Um, the decision by uh, President Obama to uh, pursue a, 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 a financial bailout policy, which was largely a continuation of the previous administration, was a tragic mistake, and it also impacted everything he did subsequent to that. For example, when you start talking about a government that's, a, that's perceived as a, as a den of, uh, of crony capitalists, um, and you, you're, you see your government, you know, ha- handing out big checks to Wells Fargo, J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs, and then someone comes along from the right and says, well, government take your of your health care policy. Uh, that sounds very, very scary, given that you've, uh, the, the, your perceptions of the government. But if we'd had a government that was perceived to be working for broader public purpose, then maybe the idea, for example, of a single-payer health care system or a public option, God forbid, for uh, uh, the, uh, the health insurance industry, um, something like along the lines of what we have in, say, France or Australia, uh, that, that, that could have been something we could have adopted. But I, I think, unfortunately, uh, the, the, uh, the powers that be are, are firmly entrenched. They're back in the, in the driver's seat, and it will probably take another economic crisis before we can uh, make the changes that um, you and I think are, ne- are both necessary.
0: Yeah, listen, Marshall, it's a it's a real pleasure to have the conversation. Thank you for the work uh, that you do and for sharing some of your time with us.
1: Thanks, Dylan. It's been a pleasure talking to you.
0: Uh, Marshall Auerbach, Senior Fellow at the Roosevelt Institute, currently working as Portfolio Strategist at invest- the Investment Fund, referred to as Madison Street Partners. They work out of Denver, uh, and we will be back right after this.
1: More Radio Free Dylan after this.
0: Markets got you down? Worried about your investments? Hi, I'm Guy Adami. And I'm here to help you jump back into the markets. Get the education you need by downloading a free investing white paper or attend a free educational webinar from Trade Monster. Learn how to protect your portfolio, become a smarter investor, and start testing the market waters. It's time to sign up. To learn more or to sign up, visit www.trademonster.com slash radigan. Brought to you by Trade Monster.
1: Back to Radio Free Dylan.
0: Welcome back. Just to put a, a ribbon on the conversation that we just had with Marshall, two things that really strike me in the context of that conversation. The first one, obviously, relating to Japan is the very possibility that a meaningful emergence of new demand uh, on the earth because of the imperative to rebuild northern Japan uh, is... Uh, clearly going to occur. The question, of course, is whether that will occur in a way that creates work not only for the people of Japan, first and foremost, who have been so violently devastated by this, but also the possibility that additional work may be created around the world as we marshal forces necessary to manufacture the necessary steel, concrete, cement, lumber, copper, iron, etc., in order to rebuild the utter devastation that is before us in northern Japan. Beyond that, I really want to emphasize the critical nature of the distinction between people like Marshall and so many other investors in this world who focus so much of their time and their effort and their energy on attempting to identify good ideas that warrant investment such that were they to be developed— would actually provide productive, beneficial results, whether it's an energy solution, a healthcare solution, a transportation solution, uh, or some sort of innovation in something like education. And those who, in the giant banking system, simply utilize their control of our government to perpetuate a giant multi trillion dollar credit lending casino, which is beneficial to the politicians who like to give away money to their constituents by way of cheap credit and is very profitable for the banks who keep all of the upside from that gambling and in the event of major losses, which are a certainty, are able to transfer all of those losses back to the American people. This is an exquisitely profitable model and an extraordinarily destructive concept for a nation to subsidize by the trillion financial markets that do not lend or invest into its own development while simultaneously having an incredibly well-invested, well-educated group of financial professionals who anxiously and diligently each day look to identify effective ways to actually invest capital in this country. And I think the more we're able to isolate on the liabilities of the credit casino that's represented by the giant banks and at the same time celebrate and encourage the type of productive investment that exists in the financial markets, we will put ourselves in a much stronger position to have a real conversation about creating real financial solutions for this country as the next financial crisis brews inside of the giant banking system and the credit casino complements of your president, Barack Obama. Uh, We will talk to you next time on Radio Free Dylan.